Some years ago, uh, Iris and I were shocked uh, to discover that a person close to both of us uh, was being charged with a serious federal crime. Uh, several months passed, uh, the trial date arrived, and then uh, the two of us drove five hours to an adjoining state so we could support our friend at this trial. The federal courthouse that we walked into was intimidating. Uh, it definitely represented the power of the federal government. And the courtroom uh, was just as intimidating. Uh, it was a large room, beautiful oak paneling uh, with, of course, you know, the clear division between those who watched and the people uh, in charge and certainly the the judge's bench was about ten, 10 feet above the seating area. He entered, a bailiff said, all rise. And as we stood there, we heard the, the words, the court will now hear the case of the United States of America versus, and they mentioned the name of our friend. It was very sobering. Uh, and even more sobering was the fact that our friend was guilty. Uh, she was guilty of a serious federal crime for which she might go to prison for several years. Now, guilt has two dimensions. Uh, first, it is the objective fact of being responsible uh, for breaking a legal or a moral law. And the second dimension of guilt is uh, painful, uh, sometimes almost immobilizing feelings of remorse and self-condemnation and possibly self-hatred that a person experiences when, uh, that we might experience when, in fact, we're guilty of something. So our friend was factually guilty of a crime, and she definitely experienced some remorse because of it. She pled guilty uh, by the mercy of the court, and because she had no prior convictions, uh, she didn't have to go to prison. Uh, but there were some other very painful and difficult consequences from that. It's not a common topic of conversation, of course, um, but factual guilt and painful feelings of guilt uh, are a problem for lots of people. Because of this, the psychological literature uh, talks a lot about guilt. Uh, psychologist Alice Miller uh, says this. She says, the research reveals that many people suffer all their lives from oppressive feelings of guilt, the sense of not living up to God's standards or their parents or their own or their peers' expectations, often no argument can dissuade a person from their guilt feelings because guilt often has its beginnings in life's earliest period and draws its intensity from it. A conscious or unconscious sense of guilt is one of the most powerful of all obstacles to emotional health. It's possible, 
excuse me. It's possible that you uh, struggle with guilt. Uh, you may have done something uh, years ago or more recently that creates very, very painful uh, feelings of remorse and self-condemnation, uh, uh, self-rejection. And every time you think about it, uh, it's like somebody is poking a finger into a painful wound and the feelings just won't go away. And you may feel like it's a weight that you will never uh, get free of. Well, we're engaged in a six-week uh, teaching called What's So Good About the Good News? Uh, the primary word that the New Testament uses to describe its teaching many times is simply the words good news. Now, there are about six major dimensions or aspects of the good news, uh, and the aspect that we're focusing on briefly this morning is this. Jesus Christ is the answer to your and my guilt, uh, both in its factual and in its emotional uh, dimensions. Now, the Bible, early in its pages, teaches that God uh, desires to forgive. Uh, one of the most beautiful, uh, I think, verses in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, when we read, the Lord is compassionate, gracious, and slow to anger. He abounds in loving kindness and truth. He forgives transgressions and sins. So very early, the second book of the Bible, we read that God is a forgiving God. Uh, he desires to forgive. Now, there are some conditions, uh, but his fundamental attitude is a desire, a motivation, a willingness uh, to forgive. The Bible contains statements of people who have experienced uh, his forgiveness. Uh, one of the psalmists in Psalm 32, the first couple of verses says, Blessed are those whose sins have been covered Blessed are those whose sins the Lord will not take into account. Now, that word blessed, of course, it simply means joyful, happy, cheerful. So we can assume that the person that penned these words uh, 3,500 years ago or, or, or thereabouts was a person who had experienced this. He had experienced the joy, the liberation uh, that comes from entering into God's uh, presence and experiencing his forgiveness so that his sins were covered, they were put away, and thereafter uh, the Lord uh, was not taking them into an account. And in the book of Luke, uh, very dramatically uh, provides us a story of what may happen when a person experiences God's forgiveness uh, very, very deeply. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 and following, we read, Once a Pharisee named Simon asked Jesus to dinner with him. 
And Jesus entered his house and sat down at his table. There was a woman in the city, a sinner. When she learned that Jesus was in Simon's house, she came and brought a vial of perfume. She approached Jesus and weeping, knelt down behind him, wetting his feet with her tears and wiping his feet with her hair. She then kissed his feet and anointed them uh, with the perfume. Now, this is an amazing scene. Uh, there's no other story that's quite similar to this in all the Bible. Uh, this woman is described as a sinner, uh, which is a polite way of saying that she was a prostitute of some type or the other. Uh, this is probably, uh, certainly not a profession that she dreamed about and thought about as a young girl that she was, you know, uh, interested in, in pursuing. She, uh, as so many women in that station are, she was probably the victim of some kind of abuse. And this, this is historical account. This isn't poetic or metaphoric. This is an actually happened in the life of Jesus. So we know this woman was real. She was probably a victim of some sort of abuse. And when people are abused, they're, of course, when we, if we are abused, we become, our hearts become hardened. We become tough. We become calloused in some ways because we have to to survive. And so we can assume that that was true of her. Probably over time, because she had been hurt so very deeply and so repeatedly over time by so many people, particularly men, uh, she probably had a hatred for men and no doubt had a deep hatred for herself that she may or may not even have recognized fully. So this makes her display of emotion when she comes in uh, even more amazing. If we read this whole passage and we understand the context, uh, we got to conclude that she must have encountered Jesus before this. And so because of that encounter, when she hears that he is in this individual named Simon's house, if she didn't know where it was, she found out, and then she pushed her way into this dinner party, obviously uninvited. She must have seen in some experience prior to this, this individual who represented in a way that she had never encountered before in her life, that this person represents truth and love. Something about him, the, he exuded this righteousness and a type of purity that when we encounter that uh, real experience of that, we are humbled. We, are, we become aware of our failures and our shortcomings. And so obviously she had experienced that. But while that was no doubt made her uncomfortable, there was something very magnetizing and attractive about him as well. And so on the one hand... Uh, she, after encountering him, no doubt was repulsed by her lifestyle. 
But then she saw this forgiveness and love in him through his teaching or through some experience that's not recorded for us in this passage. And so she pushes, and this begins some, this process within her. Something begins happening very, very deep in her mind, in her heart, in her emotions, in her spirit. And so she pushes her way into this dinner party, and then she just begins weeping out all of this grief uh, in her heart, all her hatred, probably, uh, for herself and other people. Uh, she was drawn to him and pushed into this situation because he had be she had seen something in him that was so precious to her that it was beyond all description. Now, it doesn't say that Jesus stopped her. Uh, maybe he placed his hands on her sh his shoulder. I mean, I, I, we read the whole context. People, are, the pe Simon and some of his associates seemed, they were kind of shocked and embarrassed and didn't really know what to do uh, with the situation. Uh, probably Jesus let her go on with this because she knew it was, he, he knew it was very, something about this was very therapeutic for her, that something very important was happening, and so he allowed her to continue doing this and just crying out all of this, this pain uh, inside of her, and probably relief and some experience of liberation and joy. Uh, as we read the passage, Simon, uh, he, 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 he's thinking, and it's actually in the text, the verses that we, haven't, we don't have up here. He said, if this person knew uh, what kind of, person, of per woman she is, that is referring to Jesus, uh, if he knew what kind of person she is, you know, he, he wouldn't be allowing this. And so Jesus speaks to him directly. He addresses him, and he, he said this in verse 41 and 42. He's, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon replied, go ahead, teacher. Jesus said, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one of them and 50 pieces to the other. Neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Afterwards, who do you suppose loved him more? I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But one who knows little forgiveness, however, loves little. Powerful illustration of what can happen when a person encounters truth and grace in the person of Jesus Christ and it can, opens the heart so that they can then experience the cleansing grace and power of forgiveness that's available in Christ. Now the Apostle Paul provides us some of the clearest, most beautiful teaching about forgiveness and in his letter to the Christians in the city of Colossae, he says this, uh, Colossians 1 and verse 14, says, In Christ, 
we, it's talking about all people, all believers here, certainly in Colossae, but then all who believe subsequently, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. This word redemption is the Greek word apolotrosis. And it simply means a release or liberation produced by payment of a ransom. It's like there was a payment made. You can imagine if you were in the Middle East and you were in these awful circumstances that some of these people are that are kidnapped and held for ransom um, in some of these awful places or uh, somewhere else. And someone or Somalia today, someone arranges to pay so that you are liberated from the imprisonment that you've experienced sometimes for a year or more, you can imagine what those people feel like. That is exactly the word that Paul uses to describe what Christ has done for us. Of course, it's invisible. We can't see it quite so clearly, but it is absolutely true in the spiritual arena according to this passage. And in Colossians, he follows this up in chapter 2, verse 13. He says, when you were dead in your sins, he made you alive, forgiving you all your sins. He canceled out the hostile certificate of judgment against you. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. A very interesting, Paul uses a type of financial legal expression here. Uh, this, when we believe and we are made alive, uh, the Spirit of Christ comes to dwell within us and he gives us life. He gives us eternal life and a capacity to be a God awareness and a capacity to begin relating and understanding and experiencing God in a way that we've never uh, known before. Uh, says also, at that time, it's like he cancels out the certificate, the hostile certificate of judgment. Uh, when I finished college um, a lot of years ago, about five, um, six years, a lot of my college friends uh, went up to Dallas, Texas, from where we were in school, in the state capital, in the state of Texas, and they started investing in commercial real estate. Texas in the early 80s, uh, the economy was booming, uh, the price of oil was very high, uh, real estate it just kept you know, advancing in value and advancing in value. Some of these guys had good credit, so a number of them invested big time. They were able to secure some loans and invest in some uh, big properties. Then about 83 or 84, uh, there was this turmoil in the Middle East, the price of oil dropped and suddenly, every bank save one in the state of Texas collapsed. The real estate market came tumbling down, you know, into uh, the basement. And these guys were holding these incredible debts uh, with, and the value of the property had suddenly, you know, evaporated. And so, there's all, you know, a number of them got into having to get into bankruptcy proceedings. There's no way to pay this back in any time in a reasonable time frame for some of them. And so I learned a little bit by being close to the certificate of judgment. Some of these guys, you get a judgment against you, a financial judgment, then they'll garnish your wages for a long time. I mean, it's like this heavy weight or some bad dog following you around potentially for years to come. 
And that's essentially what uh, is this passage is saying, that prior to recognizing the beauty of Christ, the identity of Christ, and believing in him and receiving his forgiveness, it's just like we had a, you know, one of these certificates of judgment that would follow us all of our life. But through Christ, it's been abolished. It's been destroyed. It has been nailed to the cross, Paul says, metaphorically speaking. And we are free, free of it. And if we don't experience this, this apolotrosis, this redemption, we are virtually doomed to engage in all the classic psychological consequences of unresolved guilt, which include denial, uh, we, people walking around with a, a factual moral guilt, uh, or all these bad feelings of guilt, it's just unbearable. So often we just deny that whatever we may have done was really you know, any so bad, and in the worst cases, the sociopaths, they just completely lose the ability to recognize basically good and evil. We could get into self-rejection, self-hatred, hating other people, common behaviors if we have to carry around a load of guilt over a period of time. How do we experience it? Of course, most everyone in this room has believed uh, this is true, your sins have been forgiven. The certificate of debt has been canceled for you uh, through the grace of God. And yet so many of us experience guilt. Uh, we struggle when we think back to that bad choice or that situation, even after we're a believer, just, oh, it's so painful. So how do we experience it? Three short points in conclusion. First, believe. If there is someone here who has not believed, there is absolutely no rational reason in this world if you recognize who Christ is to not accept this free gift of God, as Paul uh, says. Acts chapter 10, Christ has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Second, uh, simply walk in the light. John, the apostle John says in his first chapter, in the first letter, he says, If we walk in the light, as Christ himself is in the light, the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us uh, from every sin. Now, if we've already been forgiven, how is it that the bud of his son cleanses us from every sin? Well, we're going to continue sinning some, aren't we? If we have any very much awareness of Scripture or self-perception, we all the time, is a habitual, it's a human condition, in the way that we relate to God and ourselves and other people in so many different ways, we cannot help uh, but be engaged in behavior that, or thoughts or feelings, you know, circumstances that fall short of God's desires. Um, but if we are making every effort, every diligent effort to pursue the light, to walk in the truth, to hear carefully, and then apply in the deep part of our life the, the teaching of the Scripture, 
learn and hear the wisdom from above and act on it on a routine basis so that we're walking in the light, then the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us on an experiential level so that all of what we're talking about this morning, it's real. It's not just an idea. It's a liberating force that will deliver us, certainly at deep levels, from guilt. And then lastly, believing, walking in the light, and lasting, for, uh, forgiving ourselves and uh, certainly other people. Colossians, Paul says, chapter 3, verse 13, bear with one another and forgive each other. Whatever your complaint, let me just say, whatever your complaint against another, just as the Lord forgave you, you must forgive others. This is difficult. This is sometimes, this can seem impossible. You may have been victimized or abused in ways that you have never shared with another human being on this earth. Maybe your abuser is even dead now. You can't even confront the person. And yet, because of the abuse, you may be carrying around some resentment, bitterness, even rage and hatred. And it's like an emotional, spiritual cancer that lies quietly, silently inside and poisons us in so many different ways if we don't uh, address it. And that's just, the, you know, big potential abusers of the past. Then there, of course, is just routine living life at work and at home. We cannot help but hurt each other in marriage. And so we all know marriage is hard sometimes, very, very hard sometimes. And we get bitter and resentful uh, toward our spouse. But this passage is instructing us to do whatever it takes to bear with each other and release resentment or bitterness or hostility uh, towards each other. Uh, Iris and I have some very dear friends. And because of one of their partners, she was, this, this person is abused years and years ago. Never resolved. But there is a core of bitterness and hatred down deep that has poisoned her perceptions and her perspective. And she has been unable both to forgive the abuser of the past and also uh, her spouse in the present. And there has been a disaster in the family, among the children, and even in the broader Christian community in one part of the world because of the lack of grace and pursuit of doing this thing. But if we do, if we learn how to do this, if we work at this, as difficult as it is, then we can experience the forgiveness that God has granted us in ways that we cannot otherwise. Now, just forgiving somebody doesn't mean that we continue to expose ourselves to a form of abuse. Forgiving, you may need boundaries. You may need uh, protection 
That's what the law is, is about. It's, at times, there's, forgiveness doesn't mean that we just submit ourselves to whomever it is uh, may have hurt us always. But it does mean letting go of the emotions for our own sake. Believe, walk in the light, forgive others. And as we do this over time, then these beautiful uh, promises of God's forgiveness of you and me can become more and more real so that we can experience a spiritual and emotional and relational freedom in ways that are available in no other way. Now, Manuel's going to come um, this morning. I'd like to uh, just have a one minute of quiet meditation. Um, I have, as we did several weeks ago, I've put some verses up on the overheads, um, and instead of them being in the third person, I have reformulated the verse. These are verses of Scripture that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, but I have rewritten them slightly so that instead of it's Paul, ta it's Paul talking about believers, it's God talking to you and to me. So as he, pl as he plays, uh, just look on uh, some of these uh, verses for a few minutes and try to soak in what it is that God is trying to say to you and me through them. Lord, I thank you for this, uh, these passages of, of Scripture and um, thank you for the truth that it, this, this teaches. I, I thank you for the amazing gift of forgiveness that you have liberated us from the guilt of our sins. Uh, you have drawn us to yourself you have blessed us. You have canceled the certificate of debt, uh, these judgments against us. I, I pray that we could hear this and learn it and experience it more deeply. It'd be that every one of us here could experience, including me, a deeper liberation from the guilt 
uh, of the past and walk in the light and walk in the truth uh, so that we can move toward you with freedom and then exhibit the kind of joy and, and uh, liberated spirit that uh, comes from experiencing this deeply. We pray in Christ's name.